0: This is Someone Like Me, in Slavery Tennessee's podcast, working to educate listeners about human trafficking and empower survivors of the crime by telling their stories. I'm Leslie, your host. So far this season, we've been spending time talking about prevention of trafficking, and the next couple conversations speak to one of the most important facets of understanding when we consider what it takes to prevent this crime. Risk factors and youth vulnerability play such a huge role in sex trafficking. If you've listened to this show for long, you may remember that most of our survivor interviews include stories of being vulnerable as children, which led to a trafficker taking advantage. This is in stark contrast to the myth that children are being kidnapped and sold into sex slavery, which is the narrative we hear all the time when it comes to child sex trafficking. And it's just simply not the truth. The truth is even more insidious and complex and harder to reckon with. Today we'll break this down even more. We're going to talk to Stacia Freeman, the founder of Epic Girl here in Nashville. Epic Girl works with the court system to screen runaways and youth for signs of trafficking and exploitation, and then works with direct service providers like In Slavery Tennessee to rehabilitate these kids. When we talk about risk factors for trafficking, you'll hear us refer to a temperature tool that Marissa uses with the youth she works with. This tool is available for download on the In Slavery Tennessee website, so you can see what sorts of things leave children vulnerable to being exploited. Check it out on this episode's page at inslaverytn.org slash podcast. So here's our conversation with Stacia Freeman, straight from the In Slavery Tennessee offices here in Nashville.
1: have a couple would-you-rather questions for you. Would you rather be in jail for a year or lose a year off of your life?
2: Well, I guess you could kind of see them as the same things, (laughs) depending on how you looked at it. I don't know. I think I would rather be in jail for a year. All right. Why do you say that? Mm, I know people in jail, and so I hear a lot about being in jail, and it doesn't sound... Like, the best thing in the whole world, but it doesn't sound like the worst either. Like, there's still a community. Mm -hmm. They still make friendships. They still care about each other, look out for each other, Mm -hmm. build relationships there. So that doesn't seem that scary to me when you start looking at people as people Mm -hmm. yeah, and not as criminals.
1: Absolutely. All right. This one's specifically for you because I know you a little bit. Would you rather never have Starbucks again or only have to drink Starbucks as your only beverage, like forever? Oh, I would really rather never have it again because I spend way too
2: much money <laughs> at Starbucks, and I think that's super irresponsible of me. <laughs> and I really also really like water, so I don't think I could give up water.
0: Right. Uh, water's a good thing.
1: Would you rather be able to talk to animals or to speak all foreign languages?
2: Uh, to speak all foreign languages. Why? I actually can talk to my dog, though. I swear I think she talks back. My husband's <laughs> like, you've lost your mind. Um, I, I would love to be able to communicate. Like, it's frustrating to me when I get called into detention to see a runaway, and then they don't speak English, and I can't communicate, and I'm getting, like, the uh, Google translator out, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to read that, and I'm showing it, and then they're typing in and showing me. And it does something, like, to the relationship when you can't communicate. I, actually, my daughter is a Spanish major, in college, and she convinced me that I had a lot of downtime where I was just surfing my phone and things like that. She said, you really should download Duolingo. And she wanted me to take Spanish, but I decided to take Arabic. I don't know how to say anything in Arabic. <laughs> Be- Bain. What does that mean? Garage.
0: Garage. <laughs> which means
2: garage. Um, which I'm probably—if you're from—if you speak Arabic, I'm probably saying it wrong, so no offense to anybody out there. But um, I don't know. I just wanted something that was super challenging. And I thought I was saying stuff, but one of my girls that I work with, her family's from Somalia. And so that's the reason I wanted to learn, because I always talk to her mom. We can't understand each other, but there's like this love language thing happening. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I'm going to learn. And I thought that's what they were— that's what they were speaking. So I said to her, "Oh, I learned something." I started saying some. She goes, "Why are you saying the Arabic ABCs?" And I was like, oh no! Is that what that is? I didn't know. I said, "Is that what you speak?" She goes, "No, we speak Somalian, but she's Muslim, so she's like my Bible's in Arabic." Okay. I was like, okay. Well,
0: so you <laughs> tried. I tried. You tried. Yes.
2: That's hysterical. So I would love to speak all the languages. That would be mm. cool. That would be a good superpower.
1: Me
0: too. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be a really fantastic conversation. So what I'd love to start with is talking about Epic Girl, which is your creation, your organization. Can you tell us about Epic Girl, when it started, and what you are doing? Sure. So... Epic Girl started in—we ran
2: a pilot study in 2015, collected data, and then officially launched in end of March of 2016. So we're coming up on our five-year anniversary, which is super exciting. I had been working in anti-trafficking at that point since 2006, so about 10 years, and just— saw from my experience of interviewing women and young girls that had been victims of trafficking that there was a lot of space for prevention and that there really weren't a lot of agencies doing meaningful prevention work. And My background's healthcare, and I started looking at the medical model for prevention and thinking, in the medical model, we we try to prevent disease from occurring. But from a social justice perspective, we don't engage in prevention until we've already identified the disease. Oh. And so what if we knew all the precursors? And there were some things, obviously, that we knew led to vulnerability for something like trafficking, like abuse or like running away, things like that. And so I thought, kids, by nature, are very resilient and have a natural desire and tendency to survive and if they're given the information i think that they would be really wise about knowing how to spot the signs how to recognize the dangers and so it started out kind of as an educational experiment and kind of evolved from there so epic girls and empowerment program we believe that The catalyst for change really lies in relationship, that relationship has a very redemptive quality, and that all of us want to matter. Mm. We want to be connected to people that believe we matter, that care about us, that care about what happens to us. And so everything we do is really rooted and steeped in positive youth development and all of that stemming from healthy, consistent relationships.
0: And you are working directly with Mm -hmm. these students, a lot of them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, see about
2: 300 girls Mm -hmm. a year. Any girl that comes in through the detention center will see us if they come in through as a runaway. And the youngest we've ever seen is eight, but average age is about 15. So we we will see any girl— that comes in for a runaway. If they are younger than 14, we will refer them to another agency. So we are only serving girls directly outside of the runaway screen 14 and
0: above. Okay. There's a lot of things you talked about in there that we're going to get to in the course of this interview, things like risk factors, vulnerability, age. Let's start first, though, with one of the biggest myths that we kind of encounter about trafficking with children. A lot of people think that this is happening by kidnapping unsuspecting young children, right? White vans. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that we've learned is that majority of trafficking victims have a very similar backgrounds and are almost set up in a way for trafficking. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about the risk factors and the backgrounds that you're seeing from these girls?
2: So obviously I'm seeing girls Epic Girl, we're seeing girls that are coming in as runaways,
0: so they have that in common. First and foremost, that's how you're getting them. Okay. Yes. So what does that look like? What do you see, Stacia, as you're working with these kids, whether they come out of facilities or specifically runaways and trafficking? What about that vulnerability sets them up for being trafficking victims?
2: Well— I think the thing that really can drive change for them is feeling like they have somebody that they can count on Mm. and that that empowers them to do something different. I mean, I have girls now that I've been with three or four years, and they're still doing dumb stuff. And I'm like, you know, I told a girl last night on the phone, when we know better, we do better. But that is a process, Mm -hmm. you know, because we know about frontal lobe development and that it takes time for... Girls to have the growth and the consistency to really start to have those aha moments where they're like, yeah, I know how where this
0: le- leads. So talk about that actually. So your frontal lobe—that's a part of our brain that is that helps us make better choices. Yep. Is that a good mm-hmm. way to put that? Yep. Okay,
2: so it's that part that says, hey, hold on, we probably shouldn't do this. We know how this ends. This this is not good, and mm-hmm. it, it kind of allows us that space to freeze and consider. And so teenage brain space is very risky and the fact that you know, they're living in that space where they're more willing to take risks and things like that. And so we know we're dealing with the teenage brain. They are going to be more impulsive. And then when you have trauma, that adds
0: to all of that. Yeah. The word ACEs is mm-hmm. an acronym that's used a lot. Could you break, break down what ACEs stands for and how it's used? Sure. So When I
2: first started in the field, we talked about complex trauma, which now is basically being called ACEs, which are um, adverse childhood experiences. So it's the things that happen to us that set us up to negative outputs if it's not addressed, and they're divided into categories of family and personal. So there's some things that can affect us just because our family has a history of drug abuse, or there's epigenetics that go into it, and... Mm -hmm. The whole ACEs initiative in our state in Tennessee is to start to educate the community on what it is, to start looking at people not about what's wrong with them, but about what has happened to them, and to start to look at people through that trauma lens so that we can have compassion and all really be dedicated to healing. Sounds
0: like it's something that's a broader, not necessarily for trafficking, but just for any child anywhere understanding trauma. And Marissa, you work with Juveniles for slavery, Tennessee. You have a tool called the Temperature Tool for Risk Factors.
1: Yeah, it asks a few questions that would possibly beyond the ACEs. So they're okay. different. It's just something that I came up with to use in some of our prevention groups so girls could ask themselves these questions, answer, and just see how high their temperature is on the gauge, like which would relate to how at risk they are for actually being trafficked. So we've gone into facilities and used this, and it'll ask questions like, have you ever run away? Have you ever been homeless? Are you LGBTQ? Does your family live in poverty? So ask these questions. I think there's 14 questions. And then it will chart how high. And some of the kids hit 14. Mm-hmm. And then it comes out that they actually hadn't ever realized that they were trafficked. But through our groups, that it'll come out that they actually were. And that's the case of a lot of these kids that we work with. Many of them don't self-identify. Nobody self-identifies, actually, mm. that they've been trafficked. Most of them don't even understand what the term is. They're like, I've never been kidnapped off the street and thrown in the back of a car. Right. But I, you know, I did have somebody that was taking my money and and threatening me and having me do sexual favors and give him all my money. So um, I've just only used that. Just for the girls to have, like, an eye-opening moment for themselves so Mm -hmm. they can understand. I know Stacia also uses a tool through Epic Girl, right, to Mm -hmm. kind of measure their risk and their, their level of vulnerability. I wanted to touch real quick on the ACEs, though. It's 10 questions, and they ask questions like, have you watched one of your caregivers being beaten? Has, you know, one of your parents been in jail? Does one of your parents or somebody in your home, um, have they had heavy drug use or heavy alcohol use? Have you ever been sexually abused or physically abused? So these are the questions. There's 10 of them. If you have a score of 2 or higher, that means, you know, you have an elevated risk for all kinds of health issues. Mm -hmm. I don't give it to all of the kids that I work with, but I know about their lives and their stories. Most of the kids I work with have a score of a 9 or a 10. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure Stacia can attest for that too. It's very, very high. But the one thing that can kind of offer hope is that if they have somebody on their team, like Stacia mentioned, if they have a stable, supportive person or team around them, it actually can lower the risk uh-huh. for the future, the risk of these health effects, which include, you know, mental health diagnosis, alcoholism, diabetes, obesity, all of these things. Mm-hmm. People with a score of ten, um, or nine, or ten, they actually have a like. 10 or 12-year shorter lifespan than an My average goodness. person. Yeah. So, yeah, there's all types of different tools out there. But we do have the temperature gauge, which we are going to put up on our podcast website. Yes. Mm. So yeah, listeners can
0: actually take the test or have their own teen take mm-hmm. the test. And mm-hmm. I think it'll be good for people to just see what's involved with that and mm-hmm. what risk factors look like because it might be very surprising if you think of trafficking as just being – kidnapped and then shipped off to mm-hmm. a third world country. Right. Is it true that one of those risk factors is low self-esteem or this is sort of one of the things that it's more can be of an present? output. Okay. But well, and it's
2: important too, it's not just the health consequences. It's also how you're going to parent your kids, how it affects your parenting. So it's that mm-hmm. repetition of the cycle and it also affects economic Abilities and stability. And I think, you know, it is important to say, as an ACES trainer for the state, that it's fact, not fate. So it's hmm. just because you have an ACE are two aces or five aces doesn't mean that you're destined for health consequences or you're destined to be a terrible parent or abuse your kids. It's just about being aware so that you can get the supports that you need. And we know that consistent, healthy relationships build that buffer that allows
0: people to kind of rise above their experiences. That's great. So when each of you come across youth with a high level of risk factors, what resources are really available to you and to them to prevent trafficking from happening?
1: I can speak for us here at End Slavery. We recently started doing one-on-one prevention groups, and so we'll take them through a curriculum that we have. We have one that we're using right now, the Youth Empowerment Curriculum through I Empathize, and it teaches them about their vulnerabilities and it teaches them about exploitation. So it it does touch on trafficking but also talks about a lot of these vulnerabilities that puts them at risk so they can be aware and it teaches them what's a healthy support in your life and an unhealthy support in your life and learning the difference. So it opens up that conversation with them and we're doing this one-on-one virtually right now because of COVID <laughs> yeah. but we also do normally do groups in person in facilities around this area. Um, That's one of the things that we're actively doing for prevention. We also do have online trainings for teens, for teachers, for caregivers, just to look for, you know, red flags and to open up conversations with your your youth,
0: and I will say, there's a list of red flags on Inslavery's website for anybody. You should get familiar with that and get familiar with the hotline because part of prevention and part of this work is looking for these things that are happening because it's happening everywhere. Yeah. I do think one is
2: from doing screenings for three years. We've screened over about twelve hundred girls. And we do ask them, have you ever heard of sex trafficking and how would you define it? And the number one word they say is kidnapping. And then they also believe that it doesn't happen to people that look like them. And so I think that we have to normalize, in a sense, more of the issues around exploitation because— Sometimes if all of our marketing tools are geared towards white girls in the suburbs with the handcuffs and the help me written on the palms of their hands, The young African American girls are looking at that going, that's not me. So, I mean, I think there's a desire for all of us to work in this field to help people find their voice and all the things that we're talking about. But in reality, I say to the girls that I work with all the time, I cannot save you from you. Mm. I can only give you the tools to decide that you believe you are worth saving yourself. And that's really what we're doing. We're teaching the women and the girls that we serve and love how to believe that they are so valuable and so. Worthy that they want to save themselves. And that's a journey, you know, that they don't get to overnight. And me meeting with them in detention and telling them, you're a trafficking victim, is not really going to change anything for them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's just about sitting in the space while they come to that conclusion. And I've been doing this for so long. I mean, I'm going on my 16th year or something like that, which makes me feel so old. But (laughs) um, they do come around, they really do when you're consistent. In relationship, and you are not judgmental, and you are giving them just that safe space to show up in, they will come around to seeing themselves. Is that what you found? Yeah,
1: it takes time. Like I said earlier, none of them identify themselves as a victim. Many of them are like, "Look, I signed up for that. Mm -hmm. I did that. That was my choice. My boyfriend. Uh My, you know, I made my own money, and it was something I chose to do. So it takes quite some time for them to wrap their head around the fact that they were manipulated yeah. or that they were forced into that situation by so many external circumstances that they really didn't have another choice. And, you know, I think from talking from a vulnerability standpoint, we have to realize that
2: vulnerability is like a target. And the manipulators, the traffickers, the pimps, whatever you want to call them, they can identify vulnerability from miles and mm, miles sniff away. it
1: out. Mm. And a lot of times
2: they were vulnerable. They were... They were abused. They had stuff going on. They were in the streets. So they know how to build a relationship. And when I started Epic Girl, I said, I have to beat the bad guys at the relationship game because in all honesty, they're outdoing us. And they will wait. They are so patient waiting to build relationship. And we aren't very good at that because we want to work a nine to five. The one thing that I've noticed in Epic Girl, which I didn't anticipate at all, was how gang affiliation is a form of exploitation and how that's just that desire to connect and to have family and support, and then it leads to exploitation. It may not be sexual exploitation, but it may be exploiting girls to sell drugs or to shoplift, but it's still that relationship piece that kind of drives the outcome. And I will be honest, like, I've worked with with kids and people in gangs, adults, that aren't doing what they should, that are the nicest, smartest, kindest, most loving, loyal people. And I understand how if you're in the streets and your mom's addicted to crack cocaine and you don't know if your lights are going to be turned on, why you would go to someone like that? Because it's like I said, they're more loyal and better sometimes than the good guys are. And so when you need a need met immediately— You can't wait around for three weeks to get off of a waiting list to have a place Mm -hmm. to stay or to have somebody pay your light bill. And I think that's really hard for those of us doing this work because we're not collaborative as much. Like, I'm grateful for the relationship that Marissa and I have that we're constantly like, I've got this girl and (laughs) I need her her to come to y'all because it's not what Epic Girl does. Um, Mm. You know, learning to stay in our lanes, learning that we need each other. There's an element of work that I do that. In slavery, doesn't do, and there's an element of work that they do that I don't do. And there's also a whole bunch of other agencies that can come along and link arms with us. We in the nonprofit realm have to stop competing yeah. and start collaborating because there's enough money to go around and it's going to take all of us to address this issue. So, you know, I just think those things are things that. We have to talk about more. And I'm now working with a lot of the kids that are social service kids that are at really high risk because they're being moved so much. And I'm working with CASA of saying, we got to work these cases together because there's like 36 of these girls. CASA being? The court-appointed Special advocates. Special advocates. Thank you. I okay. could okay. okay. Yes. And so when a kid comes in and they're in DCS on the social services side in the court, they automatically get assigned a CASA worker. Oh. And so that's really important because CASA, because of their agreement with the court, will know when this kid's been moved, when all her court dates are. And if wow. I've got 36 of them and I maybe interviewed a girl and I'm like, I think she went into to DCS, but I don't know because nobody's notified me. If CASA and I have this relationship where they're like, hey, did you see this kid? And I'm like, yes, did you see this kid? Then it's more people to keep these kids from falling into this black hole. And then CASA and I are having these conversations where we're like, yeah, this kid disclosed trafficking. This really looks like recruiting. Let's get in slavery involved so that they can work on that prevention side and can really deal with that. So there's really a need for collaboration because no one agency is going to address mm, this issue on their own.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I'll have girls that I'll work with for a year, build relationship with them. They've been with us forever. They're gung-ho Epic Girl. They got the T-shirt and the bracelet and life is good. And then they'll be like, hey, remember like, when I first started coming to Epic Girl and you taught us that about trafficking and— Exploitation and we watch those videos, and I'll be like, Yeah, and they'll be like, Well, that happened to me when I was 12, when mm-hmm. I was 13. And then I'm like, So then you're like, Well, what do you do? I can't take a girl that's been with us for a year and be like, Okay, you really should be within slavery because you're a trafficking right. victim. So we run into that all the time because they don't always disclose
0: mm-hmm. right away mm-hmm. because it's a long game yeah. building the relationship it is and the trust. Yes. Uh, we've used the word exploitation a lot in this conversation. Can we define? define what exploitation is. I want to be careful that we're not using it interchangeably with any one specific instance. So is exploitation an umbrella term that includes things like trafficking, rape, or what is that? I think we're just using exploitation in regards to sex trafficking
1: at this point. Okay, I mean, that it can refer to labor trafficking as well. I mean, it's for minors, it's when there's an exchange of anything. It could be um, money, it could be a meal, it could be a place to sleep for the night, in exchange for some type of sexual activity. Got it. Yeah. So if you're talking about trafficking, really and
2: truly you're talking about fraud, force, or coercion. Even though the law around minors says a minor doesn't have to have that, there still is an element of fraud, force, and coercion that has to be addressed. Exploitation anything about you exchanging hands. So it can create a really gray area when you're
1: looking at, like, survival sex. Mm-hmm. So a lot of girls don't realize that I'll meet them in a facility, and I know Stacia meets a lot of them as well. And, and they're like, no, no, I've never been involved in anything like that when you're explaining it to them. But then he <laughs> might be like, well, what did you do when you were homeless on the streets? How did you survive? Well, sometimes I'd meet a guy and, I, you know—
0: do something for him and he'd give me a place to stay for a couple nights. Okay, so let's talk for a second about juvenile victims who may not have risk factors because we know this is true. Marissa, you were just, you had mentioned there was someone in enslavery Tennessee history who came from a pretty stable household. That happens sometimes that they don't fit into this
1: picture that we're painting of having all of these vulnerabilities. Yes, we will get referrals of girls that come from good families or that they're well off and they're vulnerable mainly because there's some type of, I would say, low self-esteem issue, a lack of supervision. I think that a lot of these kids just need uh, some attention, some involvement from parents. The case that we were talking about recently, it was a while ago, there was a teen that was living with a single mother and she's gone for work a lot. And this girl is online all the time, being unsupervised, very lonely, wanting attention and starting to get on the dark web, reach out to guys online, chat, sending pictures, sending videos. And all of a sudden, her mom is finding out that she's sending her address, that she's seeing like explicit videos and texts and photos. And this girl doesn't know how old these people are. And they're making her offers. You know, they're offering to trade things for these, Mm. you know, pictures and videos or to meet up in person. And then something worse could happen. So we're given this as a referral. Was a referral from you. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we can start one on one prevention groups, teaching her what exploitation looks like, giving her somebody to talk to, actually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, getting her involved, talking with the parent giving the parents some suggestions or at least an ear to vent to. We were gifted a few free subscriptions for Bark. It's a monitoring app. So we're able to give those out on a Mm -hmm. prevention aspect as well. There's others we might refer to as well. But this is not a one case that we've gotten these. Well, and I think that one would
2: be risk because... It's a single parent. Oh yeah, and so that is an ace. Yeah, like, you're right. Like, oh, it you is. know, there's the abandonment just, issue and the you know not having access to both parents and things like that. I mean, I always say like from 16 years of doing this work, it's less than one percent of the cases I've ever seen that didn't have some vulnerability factor. And even those, when you dig down, sometimes you find things. But Marissa's very right that. Social media changes the whole game. Mm, yeah. And you have kids now that are so comfortable with building relationships online, and they think they know these people. And I'll tell you, I build relationships with the girls I serve online. I can get a lot accomplished through texting. This generation of kid is very comfortable with engaging on social media platforms, and it's a trick into yeah. making you think that you know somebody that you don't really know. Yeah, And so— that's why we're seeing, I think, an uptick in girls that maybe don't have this standard blueprint for what we think a trafficking victim is going to look like. I mean, in social media, it really affects self-esteem for all of us. Yeah. Right?
1: They don't have the overt vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. but there's those that are— kind of lying beneath the surface. Like you said,
0: the low self-esteem or the single-parent household. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned Bark. I remember this video that went viral from Bark. One of their agents posed as an 11-year-old. She was 34, right? Uh And, you know, I wasn't that young when, when Instagram was around, but the immediate response to this picture And she had barely hashtagged anything. She was not looking for any sort of whatever. It just came to her. And in her inboxes, there's all these sorts of things that are, if you have low self-esteem, which we all struggle with that, especially when we're just trying to figure out what life is all about in our early teens you're getting all sort of affirmation. When you're only putting out there
2: the very best stuff, who's waking up in the morning with a zit and your hair all a mess being (laughs) like, selfie time. (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, I'm my age, which I'm not going to say on a podcast, but old. And I'm still constantly like, everybody's house is cleaner than mine. Their vacations Mm. are better. They eat healthier. Mm -hmm. You know, they Mm -hmm. look younger. I mean, their clothes are better. Their kids are cleaner. I'm like, if I'm dealing with that stuff at my age of— constantly putting myself in that comparison and having to hold myself accountable. Now what happens with a 15-year-old whose frontal lobe is not developed, and then add vulnerability to that, and look at how dangerous that makes social media for a kid that has no consistent supports, is dealing with family issues, is living in poverty, and you just, it's a recipe yeah. for a disaster. And I don't really know what to do about it other than to educate kids mm-hmm. yeah. about
1: the risks. I, that's something that we'll do. I mean, when I mm-hmm. work one-on-one with them, or if Julia, who teaches groups one-on-one, um, works with them, we'll talk about that stuff. Because it does seem to be the number one way at this point. Like, there's less and less people out on the actual streets. More so, it's through apps okay. and websites at this point. And Girls can do that on their own also if they want to. I mean, this is something that the girls that are out there, the runaways doing survival sex often use the apps and the websites. Yeah. And they change so
2: fast. You can't keep up with uh. them.
1: And predators find them online like you were just talking about and befriend them like boyfriends and then also will turn around right there write them in there and exploit them online. Mm. So everything's Mm. kind of moving in that direction.
2: Yeah, one of the best videos, which I think I gave you before, is called Fate of a Photo. It's an old one that was done by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It used to be on YouTube. I think it still is. It's old, like with a flip phone. The girls think it's hilarious. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But it basically the premise is once you put things out there into the world of the Internet, you no longer own that. Right, So you have no control where that picture, that topless photo that you sent to this boyfriend that in your 15-year-old brain you thought you were going to marry and have his children, Hmm. you have no control where that photo goes. And I tell the girls— we show them brain scans the brain scans of the healthy versus the abused brain you can find them online and it shows like the frontal lobe and like for the abused brain the temporal lobes they're not lit up there's not stuff going on because trauma gets you really stuck in your limbic system and we say for girls your frontal lobe is going to be fully developed early to mid 20s for boys late 20s maybe even early 30s so i say girls really are smarter than boys for a little while mm. and so invest in your education now, and don't invest in boys until you get older. <laughs> so the because we talked about the teenage brain wants to fit in, yeah. boys are wanting to fit in, too. And how are they going to fit in with their friends if they have a topless picture of a girl— Boys are not emotionally connected early on. They're not wired that way. They're more physically wired. And so their drivers and their desires are going to be really different. So, a little girl who is very nurturing and emotionally wired, who connects to that boy in an emotional way, gives him something that is precious to her. And then he wants to fit in with his friends, so he shows all his friends. And that fate of a photo really shows that and I think is really eye-opening for girls of being like, oh, my gosh, that's how it works. Yeah. And once it's out there, I mean, I've had girls that have had to change schools two or three times because they've been exposed on the internet. And, you know, it's such an innocent—I mean, I'm always like, thank God we didn't have social media when I was a teenager because mm. it's just such a dangerous space for kids to be in.
0: Let's talk about boys and prevention. I know you t- you work with girls, but mm-hmm. there's part of the prevention discussion that a lot of it we're talking about, how do we how do we prevent girls from being trafficked? Mm-hmm. But a large part of this discussion comes down to demand. What can we do about boys who will one day grow up to be men that exploit women? Is there anything that you two have seen in your work that we can do better at to prevent
2: this? Well, relationships. I mean, I think a lot of that's coming from boys that don't have male role models, the right kind of male role models in their life that are teaching them what it means to be a man of character and integrity. And they're maybe growing up in the streets where women are objectified. I also think, which will not make me popular with the teenage crowd that I love, but <laughs> rap music is very mm-hmm. exploitive right now. And I think we have to have conversations. About that. I mean, for a while in my classes, I was doing lyrics. You know, they were giving me a list of songs, and I was like, okay, I was going and printing out the lyrics. And then I'm like, why would you want a guy to refer to you as your bitch? Like, Uh how does that make you feel strong and empowered? And
0: I remember. So you're literally dissecting lyrics of songs. And talking about it. And
2: they'll be like, oh, Mustachia, you're so crazy. That's not what it means. You know, okay, then tell me, how can you turn this around into a positive? And there's a whole pimp culture. But it also is so relational, especially for kids that have been in the streets, that are members of gangs, that are out there trying to take care of themselves. There's a lot of rap artists that they've been there. They really get it. They're singing from a place, a deep well of experiences. And I want to say to these guys, you have so much power to really turn your generation and kids that are looking up to you onto a path that is for strength and inspiration and empowerment, but you're choosing to feed that monster of exploitation and deceit. You know, just so that powerful. there has to be people standing in the gap for these kids mm-hmm. that are saying, like, like right now, I told y'all I had to take a break because I have a kid that's texting me and she's a runner. She's in contact with me. And then she turned herself in and says so she's back with DCS. And she doesn't really have anybody that's making sure. Things are happening for her that are right. And I'm just saying, don't run away. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And I don't know how we're going to figure it out. Like Mm -hmm. right now, I literally have no clue how we're going to figure it out. But she has one person that's saying, You matter to me. I've got your number. Stay in touch with me. I'm going to help you figure it out. Mm
1: -hmm. And just knowing that, it changes everything. That's the common denominator, I think, with these kids that can thrive Mm -hmm. and come out of these circumstances and go on to live healthy, happy, fulfilling lives is having a Stacia in their life. (laughs) Aw, (laughs) Marissa. That consistency of support,
0: it means so, so Mm -hmm. much. So for the people who are listening that are outraged, upset, learning new things in this episode— that maybe they didn't know before. What are some practical ways that you see that they can help in this fight um, to help with minors who are particularly vulnerable? Well, I was just having
2: this conversation with my mom the other day about mission. And I was like, mission isn't just about sitting in a you know, room and having conversations or being part of a group, it's actually about rolling your sleeves up and getting your hands dirty. And I think you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to do? So I will tell you, like, if you want to decrease vulnerability and you want to really look at that, we talked about DCS. There's not enough placements. Could you be a foster parent? Would you be willing to be a foster parent? I mean, it might take you six months to go through training. Would you mentor? I mean, Epic Girl has the opportunity for you to mentor girls that are lower risk. And then I know In Slavery does a program as well for girls that maybe are higher risk. So decide what, what's your gift? What's your strength? area? And how do you pour into that area use, utilizing your strengths? It's one thing to just sit around and talk about it. If you can't, because I have some people be like, what? I'm scared of the girls you work with. <laughs> no. I hear that you too know, sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really scared of those girls. I'm like, really? Gosh, I'm not scared of them at all. But um, then maybe you stuff envelopes. Maybe you tell your friends. Maybe you put together a giving group and give to agencies doing the work. Mm-hmm. Write a check. Put it on your social media. Um, engage in giving circles. Get your church behind it. Do a diaper drop. I mean, there's so many ways to engage, and you don't have to just sit there with your. I know the red X. End it. To end, end it. To end it. Taking a picture of your red X. A red X not connected to works hmm. doesn't make a difference. Yeah. So there's one thing to use your voice and your red X and raise awareness. What's the next step from that? Do something.
1: I agree with everything that Stacia said, I will also say I think being informed, knowing what those red flags look like, knowing that it's not really girls that are kidnapped in a van. Oh, I've heard lots of mom groups talk about this. like oh, oh my yeah. friend's daughter went off to college and and I told her to stop stop dressing revealing like that because she's gonna be human trafficked. Yeah <laughs> right. like, are they put a zip tie the, on their windshield yes. wipers? Oh, this is not what it is. So minimally mm-hmm. educate yourself. go on our website. Learn about what the red flags do look like. So if you do, if you're a teacher and you have a student that's exhibiting some of these signs, maybe you can say something Mm -hmm. or take one of our trainings online. We have several trainings. We have trainings for educators. Free trainings. Free trainings. Trainings about teens. You can take those trainings. You can donate. Um, We actually do like to provide our survivors with new bags new clothing. We don't often take used items because we want them to have something that they feel is of value and worth. So, your donations go a long way. I can speak for that. When I get to meet up with a youth and say, "Hey, I'm going to take you out to Red Robin today." Yes. <laughs> or, you know, a, ni- a nicer sit-down restaurant. They feel so good about that, you mm-hmm. know? And that's part of our relationship building or, "Hey, you need a new winter coat." Let's go shopping, and you get to choose your own winter coat. Those gift cards make a great difference in their lives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the first time that they've actually gotten to go and choose something Mm -hmm. for themselves. So any of those... Donations and slavery, I can speak from a direct service standpoint. They do a lot of good and they go straight to our survivors. You could also join one of our community groups to be an advocate in the community. That's another way that you can actually just be a voice and get involved in volunteering. Well, and I'll say from nonprofit
2: leadership, because I've been in leadership for 16 years in nonprofit, unrestricted funding is very hard for nonprofit leaders to raise, and we have to pay our people. And so The programs would not happen without the case managers like Marissa that are out there meeting with the girls. It wouldn't happen. The runaway screenings wouldn't happen if my staff couldn't take 24-7 call and go into the detention center or take a phone call. Stacy was on call for the last two weeks. She has been called in six times between two and four in the morning. Hmm. I mean, as much as people want to do that out of the goodness of their heart, people have to pay their bills. So I get, like, it's really hard when you have donors that are like, oh, I just want to give gift cards or I just want to give this. We have to pay our people. There is a cost to doing good work. Hmm. And nobody, I promise you, nobody is getting rich, from doing nonprofit work, mm. if we were doing, if I wanted to be rich, I would get, be in medical sales, like I used to be. Mm. And so I'm just like everybody needs to realize, like this is hard work, and hard work is the hardest work, and we have to take pe- we have to take care of our people doing the mm. work. Yes. it's emotionally draining, and we also, on top of the emotional aspect of this, don't need to constantly be concerned about how we're going to keep the lights on at in slavery or ethical. Well,
0: especially when you're talking about this being a long game, like we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. This is a long-term relationship. Part of taking care of your people is making sure they stay around long enough to build relationships with these women. right? And if your organization isn't around for long enough to be able to build the relationship and have a place in the community that people are referring other people to. So when we take into mind the concept of a long game, and this is a relational game, Even if all you can do is donate, right? That's That's so good because you're you're participating in the long the long term relationship aspect of this fight. Yes,
1: I'm so glad that you could come today. Me too. I always appreciate. Just everything that comes out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. I always feel like whenever I have a conversation with you, I learn. I just like to soak it in and listen and learn. And I think what Epic Girl does is so, so amazing. Oh, thank and you. I <laughs> think that um, Leslie mentioned it earlier, but I think being a mentor with Epic Girl is a great way to give back. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've nice. had some youth that have come through Epic Girl as well, and they carry their mentors on for years. And they do a lot of amazing, amazing work. So oh, Thank you for that. I do. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm just glad that we know you and that we get to partner with you. You, and and I feel the same. That you were here today.
2: Thank yeah, you. Thank I feel you. the same. Yes.
0: In Slavery Tennessee thanks the Jones Legacy Group for their continued support of someone like me. Our production staff is Gregory Byerline, Stacey Elliott, and Marissa Brunel. Claire Bidigary Curtis is our engineer and original music is by Zach and Maggie White. I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson. Thank you for listening.